Member Bush. Chair absent. Chair Chu. Here. Member Larkin. Here. Member Here. McNulty. Here. Member Natoli. Here. Member Patoha. Here. Member Post. Here. Member Tonneson is absent. Moving on to item two, opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. Seeing no comment. Seeing that there are no comments, we'll go on to item three, which is the election of the vice chair. Are there any nominations for vice chair? We have two members that are termed out. Welcome to your second meeting, new members. <laughs> Thank you. Any interest? The, the vice chair, um, uh, well, do you want to talk about what the vice chair does? Or do you mean to get, uh, the vice chair will run the meeting if I'm, if I'm not here. Uh, <clears throat> Ken Rue, deputy city attorney. Um, yeah, the vice chair is analogous to the vice president, I think, quite frankly. <laughs> 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 So effectively, if the chair is unable to discharge her duties for whatever reason, then you would be stepping into her shoes. We also um, generally have a meeting two weeks before this meeting to go over the agenda. Um, that, that's usually at City Hall in Ben's office for, for about 8.30 in the morning. Um, and so that's not mandatory, but it, it'd be helpful um, if that fits in with your schedule. If nominated and elected, I would be happy to serve as vice chair, though this is only my second meeting, so I would certainly yield to a more senior member on the committee. <laughs> I'll nominate. These, they've both been chairs before. Yeah. Um, can I make both. a comment? Yes, please. Um, I've been uh, both um, served in the chair of uh, vice chair and chair. So, um, <clears throat> Lord, if you're interested, um, please raise your hand or we'll nominate you. Yeah. I think a great deal of the work is really, um, you know, in the case of the uh, chair's inability to chair the meeting, um, the vice chair chairs the meeting, but in addition to that, um, prior to the, each meeting, the vice chair and chair will meet with the controller's staff to really go over agenda items. So that's another opportunity to try and um, comment on or shift um, attention to certain areas of our work. So I um, encourage you to accept the nomination. <laughs> Is that a nomination? Yes, consider it a nomination. <laughs> I second. Any discussion? Any comments from the public? Seeing none, should we take a vote? Yes, please vote. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Then motion is approved. We'll move on to item number four, which is the approval with possible modification of the minutes of the January 29th, 2019 meeting. I'll move to approve the minutes. Second. Any comments? I, I don't have the minutes in my packet. Do you guys have the minutes in your packet? Yes. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. I got, I got it early. I picked it up early. 
Okay. Is it? Is there any public comment on this item? Seeing no public comment. I got it. Seeing no public comment, we'll move on to item number five. Oh, uh, do oh. we um, approve the minutes as as written? Nope. All in favor, say aye. 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 Item number five: presentation from the SFMTA about the 2014 transportation and road improvement bond and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Good morning, Chair Chu and committee. Uh, my name is Leo Levinson. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. And thank you for hearing our quarterly update today on our general obligation bond program. Um, yeah, next slide. Thank you. So um, really, the overview is that we are, we're very excited about what's been accomplished under this program. Uh, we are um, conscious of the fact that we haven't expended the second issuance as quickly as we would have liked, but we're proactively uh, working to reprogram our and to um, adjust our program to make sure that we are able to expend the funds on projects that can move the most quickly uh, and to be strategic about, uh, about the way that we are using these bond funds. As you can see in the overview, uh, we've expended 93% of the first issuance uh, issued in June 2015, about $61 million. Uh, the second issuance was issued in January 2018, of which about $38 million has been expended, uh, about 22%. And uh, we have 10 projects that have been completed to date. Next slide. So here. Um, you can see an overview of the different areas in which the bond was programmed. I'm not going to go over each number here, but we're going to have a summary of some of the, the major uh, programs uh, that we've been able to do. Uh, but this shows the big picture. The total bond was uh, authorized for $500 million. Uh, we have had two issuances, uh, totaling about $244 million. And we have a great deal of excellent work teed up to use the rest of this bond. And we're very excited to provide those benefits to San Francisco. So next, we'd like to go over a few of the specific, um, this is a summary of, of what we'll be talking about. Uh, and um, let's just uh, move to the next slide where we can talk about um, the Muni Forward. And for that, I'd like to have uh, Steve Boland come up um, and talk about some of these exciting projects. Good morning, everybody. I'm just going to give you a brief summary of some of these projects. I imagine all of you are familiar with them to some degree. Um, these are projects that we've completed, uh, including a couple of really big ones. Um, the Five Fulton that you see here. Um, this is one of our rapid network corridors. We have, as you probably know, five rapid bus lines uh, that account for about 10% of our total system ridership. Uh, we also have frequent local services in those same corridors. Um, Fulton is a corridor that we've been working on in various stages going back to about 2009. The GoBond project you see here, just recently completed about a year ago now, um, included numerous transit bulbs and included new traffic signals, uh, a whole array of measures, transit priority measures to speed up both the 5 Fulton and 5R Fulton Rapid. 
Uh, and the results we've seen in that corridor, um, we've gone from about 14,000 riders before we started the improvements um, up to about 23,000 today. Um, really a validation uh, of what we suspected, which is that uh, ridership will respond to speed and reliability improvements. We have seen about a 9 to 12% improvement in speed in this corridor as a result of these improvements. Uh, another rapid corridor where we focus capital improvements, uh, the 9 San Bruno corridor, um, starting with 11th Street and Bayshore, we have a complementary project uh, that took place on Petrero, and we're currently working on San Bruno. Um, Ridership in that corridor is up about 11% in the last two years. Uh, a couple of other projects you see here, just really quickly, just to keep things moving. The Laurel Village project on the One California, that is not one of our rapid corridors, but it is a corridor with more than 30,000 daily boardings. It is one of our very highest ridership in the entire city. Uh, and while Laurel Village is a small portion of that corridor, I would point out that any time we're able to make speed and reliability improvements, uh, riders throughout the corridor benefit for those improvements. Those improvements are not limited to that local area. So in Laurel Village, uh, we've put in a number of transit bulbs, we've moved several stops around, we've upgraded traffic signals, the types of improvements that we uh, typically make uh, as parts of these kinds of projects. Um, the last two that you see here, I'll just mention really quickly, uh, 30 Stockton, you see here one small portion of all of the improvements taking place uh, throughout that corridor. Uh, the 30 and the 45 south of North Beach being another of our very busiest uh, where we have focused our improvements. In Sansom, uh, this is a location uh, where we've saved two minutes per trip um, simply by putting in a few blocks of ContraFlow transit lane. I'll turn it back over to Leon now. Thank you, Steve. And I should mention that, of course, our full quarterly report has much more detail on any of these projects, and we'd be very happy to take any questions you may have, either to answer here or to get back to you if you're interested in any of these projects. A next major area of focus for our bond spending is our facilities. Muni has a very extensive portfolio of facilities, many of which are aging, and um, we just tremendously appreciate the support of the public in um, being able to renovate and make these facilities ready for the next century. Um, and so to talk about our Building Progress Program is Jonathan Ruers, who is our Senior Budget Manager and Coordinator of the Building Progress Program. Thank you. Uh, Jonathan Ruers with the MTA. So uh, in, last, in the last fiscal year, you'll notice in the overall report, we shifted a lot of our first issuance dollars to facilities projects. So the amount of the first bond that was approved by the voters is now at zero. So we've issued the full $67 million. And what we did was that was part of our strategy to, to help support spend uh, the bond dollars a little more rapidly. So these three projects that you see there were all projects that had construction awards already in place so we could begin the process of spending down the bonds. Um, Islaus Creek Phase 2 is a 20-year facility in the making. It literally took 20 years of planning and negotiations with Caltrans. Uh, it is the MTA's first new bus facility in nearly 50, oh, 30 years uh, since um, the Flynn facility, it stores 60-foot uh, motor coaches and um, has our most modern maintenance bays. Muni Metro East, the five-track project, has to do with the changeover of the light rail fleet in San Francisco. So there were five tracks added um, to the southern portion of the site that will allow the MTA to store an additional 19 vehicles as we accept vehicles at that site. Um, the new uh, LRVs that we're receiving. And then Burke is a fantastic project. It's about approximately 
$40 million in total. The GEO bond is paying a significant portion of the construction cost of the project. But it was a project where our central warehouse is located, so all the parts for all of Muni it's our central part uh, location facility. What we did is with the same square footage, we increased the capacity of the facility, and then half of it is gonna be changed into new Muni overhead lines facility. So it was a great example of an efficiency project where we took an existing building, we added capacity and use, and moving overhead lines to this new location, we'll put them in a facility that will be safe during an earthquake, because our overhead line staff need to respond in case of a major emergency in San Francisco, and also opens up the former facility to be the new animal care and control facility for San Francisco. So. Great use and efficiency, all in construction. Phase one has since been completed, and we're going to hopefully have phase two completed by April to May. All right, the third set of projects we're going to focus on is uh, pedestrian safety improvements. Do we have someone from DPW here who's going to uh, present? But if not, I'll just speak to the slide here, which shows three of our uh, completed projects that are, um, that are most exciting in this area. Uh, the first is the Portrero Avenue roadway improvements, where we constructed traffic signal modifications at 12 intersections on Portrero Avenue between 17th and 25th Street. <laughs> Mission Street and Trumbull Street intersection upgrade, which uh, received, uh, reached substantial completion in August of 2017, including realigning Trumbull Street to allow more conventional vehicular turns, pedestrian bulb outs to improve safety and roadway repaving. And these are really at very specific safety benefits. Uh, so for pedestrians, it includes shorter crossing distances and better visibility uh, and slows down vehicular traffic along Trumbull Street. And the third one uh, we wanted to mention was the 8th and Market Street uh, Transit Boarding Island, uh, which you may have seen right very close to here. It's open to the public to create a safer bicycling environment in one of the city's busiest cycling intersections. And it includes two-stage turn boxes, green pavement parking, and a transit boarding design that separates the bicyclists from traffic, uh, which results in the cyclists not weaving through traffic on Market Street in that location. So uh, these are the projects we wanted to focus on today. There's many, many more that uh, we're working on, and we'd be happy to answer any questions. Questions? <clears throat> I, I do have a question. For, um, so you said that one the, is it the Burke facility that uh, you're, it's going to be the new facility for Muni and then the old facility is going to go to uh, animal care, you said? Mm -hmm. So that building, does that still belong to uh, the city or is it, is it sold, leased? How does that work? Yeah, so it, it's actually part of a complicated three-part trade that the city is moving forward with. So uh, what we do with real estate facilities in the city is jurisdictional transfers happen between departments about who essentially manages the facility. So animal care and control will get our former overhead lines facility. We're going to move into Burke, and then there's a third facility that will later be transferred to the MTA you know, as part of this three-part transaction. Yeah, it's essentially old animal care and control facility. It. It, it's in a location at 1215th Street that is conveniently right next to our Scott garage and across the street from our Flynn facility. So operationally, it makes sense for all of us. Okay, thank you. Um, we have a liaison report from our members. Sorry yeah. about that. Um, I am the liaison, the single liaison, though I'm ably assisted by Brenda in doing this. So anyway, we met, I think, two weeks ago with Muni staff, several of whom are here today, and 
Leo Lowenstein was kind enough to come by and introduce himself, take time away from his busy schedule for something of marginal worth <laughs> to talk to us. But um, one thing that, that I just asked this morning, actually, was about whether there had been or they were expecting claims, potential or actual, on any of the projects that were either substantially complete or near substantial completion. And the short answer I got was none. There's a, maybe some question about the Van S BRT because we know there are claims there, but we're unsure of how much um, of this bond money is paying for that. Um, I also wanted to clarify something that I had mentioned once before, and that is a supplemental appropriation wherein, whereby money was shifted between improved transit projects and safer streets because the two groups of projects were spending, in some cases, quicker than they expected, in other cases, not as quick as they expected. And it wound up being, well, I'll say a process-intensive endeavor to make that shift. They had to go to the Board of Supervisors. And I've said several times that I don't see what positive effect has come of this because, and this is a clarification I wanted to make at this meeting, ultimately both sides, improved transit and safer streets, are made whole. Whatever the breakdown is between those two of the, of the sharing of the $500 million will ultimately be made right. So it's just a matter of timing. Sometimes projects get delivered a little bit more quickly than others. There are things, there are, say, bid protests that would hold up the award of a contract. And there's no reason that the public should be denied quicker access to the benefit of these projects because of something like this. So my recommendation as the liaison is that this process be streamlined to the extent possible. Again, the bottom line here, the punchline is that there is no shift, final shift of project funds from what the bond measure said. It's just a temporary thing to expedite the delivery of some of the projects included. Um, this, the next thing I want to ask is, say is really more of a question. Um, on some of these projects, there's been the need to coordinate with the Department of Public Works. And in DPW granting some of those project contracts, and I think a lot of them involve utility relocation, does the responsibility for getting the encroachment permits get shifted to the contractor, or is that something that the agency does for it? And I'm putting you guys on the spot a little bit because I'm asking a PUC question of, or pardon me, a DPW question of guys who probably aren't conversant with it. But um, I do see uh, one of our colleagues uh, from DPW is, is here, Bruce uh, Robertson. Oh, so he's on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> and are, are you able to answer that question, Bruce? Uh, Bruce Robertson, finance manager from San Francisco Public Works. Um, in terms of the encroachment fees, we would handle that with the contractor through Public Works. If we are the lead agency delivering that project, in terms of we're the one holding the construction contract. So you do get it, or the contractor is re is required to get the. the, the we would work with the contractor to ensure all the permits are obtained. In terms of who's actually doing that, I don't have that information okay. directly at my fingertips, but we can provide that. It, it's just one of those things that, to me, sounds like a potential delay. And if that's the way you do business, that's fine, but it's more in the way of an explanation of why sometimes these projects get delivered a little bit late. I, I have experience with getting encroachment permits. 
True, and we do work quite hard and diligently to ensure that permitting is not the reason for the delay. Okay. So that is something that's very high on our to-do list in terms of these projects to ensure that that's not something that's causing a delay. Good, excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, finally, uh, there has been an audit report. Apparently, it has gone well. I see Peg Stevenson is here today. Maybe she'll talk a little bit about it during the course of her presentation. If not, some other time, we'll be here. Okay. And that is all that I wanted to say. And if, Brenda, you would like to say something, this is your time. Um, yes, I would like to um, make some additional comments. First of all, Mr. Levinson, thank you for to you and your staff for always being very um, agreeable to meet with uh, Brian and myself. Um, just, I just wanted to share some of my um, experiences uh, serving alongside Brian, really tagging along to listen to the explanations um, to, to share with some of our newer um, GOBOC members. Um, since this bond was, um, was approved and started um, uh, funding, um, we have met with um, three sets of staff at the MTA, our liaisons, if you will. Um, but having said that, each, each set of staff have always been very um, agreeable to answer our questions. Um, finally, after meeting several with, with you several times and over the course of overseeing, assisting to oversee this bond, I just want to share with my fellow um, GOBOC members what, what I've learned, I'm kind of finally beginning to grasp um, the complexity of this bond. First of all, um, out of the 500 million bond, um, the voters um, actually agreed to uh, split it into initially um, two main areas. 60% is really transit, about 27% um, safer streets. So you have to think of that broad category first. And then within that, these two groups are then split up into eight separate groups. If you look at page three, it will help you to follow what I'm saying. Um, so there are eight different groups. And out of the eight different groups, there are 55 projects. So the challenge, um, not, not just for the MTA staff, but for us to, to fulfill our oversight complex is very complex. So um, I think that um, two years ago or last year, the Board of Supervisors actually called MTA staff to their meeting to explain why this rate of spend was not as fast as they would like to see. And um, Brian and I appeared in front of that meeting to really support that we are convinced that MTA staff is doing everything within their power to advance various projects. But I just want to share this broad oversight that out of it's, 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 it's not impossible, but it's a huge challenge to really manage and report on 55 projects, and many of them are not similar, if you will. So um, going forward, whoever is going to take up Brian's position and who's going to assist him, um, I think if you keep these experiences, the comments I have, um, it will help us all to oversee the, the proceedings, the spending of this bond. But I, I just wanted to share that comment. Other than that, um, I have, I'm satisfied that um, the questions that we have raised at every meeting, um, we'd always gotten an answer. So thank you. I have a quick question. This is probably for Steve. Um, 
In, in highlighting the accomplishments, um, talking about the five, I just was curious what impacts, uh, I know that there was a second traffic circle in there and that had to be removed. You know, what kind of impacts that had when we're talking about the efficiency, the spending um, you know, on the project overall and if there are similar challenges with some of these projects that I'm less familiar with in terms of re, you know, reorienting how you went about spending it? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a fairly unique situation. Uh, I would hope it's a fairly unique situation where we implement uh, a capital element and then we go back and remove it later. Um, you know, we have certainly made post-initial project changes in response to community concerns. On mission, for example, uh, there were some changes to some of the turn restrictions after the fact based on further observation and based on some of the things that we heard from the community and from elected officials. So, you know, the, the, the thing that I'll say, uh, I guess, first of all about that is we do try to be responsive when we get a lot of feedback. Um, the traffic circle that was removed, we had gotten uh, a lot of feedback from the immediate neighbors. Uh, some of it direct, some of it coming through their supervisor, some of it coming through their former supervisor, now the mayor. Um, it, the cost of removing it was relatively modest. Um, if that's, I, I understand that to be part of the question. I, I, I would have to go back and double check, so don't take my word for this, but I believe the cost to remove it was on the order of $60,000. We don't intend this to be necessarily the last mm -hmm. word on the subject at that location. We are still looking into some other alternatives uh, to hopefully provide some of the same benefit that that traffic circle was intended to provide. And the other thing that I would say about that is that you know we are, uh, in many ways, even though we've been doing this for a few years now, still kind of learning as we go. Um, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of site-specific sort of contextual information that we're picking up as we go in terms of what sort of works better at one location than another. You know, I, would, I did a lot of work around that particular location at McAllister and Steiner, and in retrospect, there were some, some challenges to implementation of that particular improvement, which was a traffic circle, um, including the grade at that location, some of the sight lines, the traffic volumes on the side streets. We did a lot of research, and I think we learned a lot of things about kind of you know, where traffic circles work maybe a little bit better than some other locations. We have another traffic circle at McAllister and Lyon that we feel like is working pretty well. Does that? Yeah, yeah, thank you. I have some questions and comments. Um, first of all, uh, again, this is my second meeting, so forgive the newbie questions, but I thought this quarterly report was excellent, and I thank you for it, but I do have some suggestions that I think speak to Brenda's comments as well. Uh, and we're going to get to the parks report a little bit later in this meeting. And at the bottom of each of the waterfront park projects were a couple little very helpful tables about impact on scope and cost and timing of project delivery as conditions change. And it would be very helpful. And I know Peg's team is working on consistency. Uh, through uh, consistency in reporting to this committee and to the public among all the bond project areas. And so I would like to request that in the next quarterly report from the transportation bond sector that at the, uh, perhaps, I mean, it's just a suggestion, and you can present it how you choose working with PEG for consistency, but um, at the bottom of each of these project summaries, with perhaps a, 
adding something about scope, timing, and cost changes, tying that to the project challenges and areas of concern. I appreciated reading the project challenges and areas of concern when there were some at the bottom of several projects, but I didn't see direct ties to what that, the effect of those concerns would be on the project completion and its, and its cost. So in, the and so in the future, what I'd like to request is just a prose sentence or two in the project challenges and areas of concern section on how these may or may not affect timing and cost, and, and it can be a sentence saying no effect on timing and cost. And then, um, again, maybe uh, fleshing out the, the little charts and tables you have at the bottom, a little more similar maybe to the waterfront parks where it really does give us a sense of, of uh, how things will be affected going forward. Uh, thank you very much. That's very helpful feedback, and uh, we'll try to make that so in the next report. Thank you. And then I did just have some questions on one specific project. My guess is you've all talked about it a lot, and this is the um, Van Ness uh, uh, bus rapid transit. Um, when it says the contractor continues to follow the referral process with public works, what does that mean? For, uh, <laughs> did, um, Bruce, are you I'm sorry that I'm, I'm not sorry, I just don't, I just don't know what that means. I, I just, I that's okay, no problem. And I'm happy to repeat the question as well. Um, when it, I'm talking about the, um, the Van Ness bus rapid, bus rapid transit uh, improvements, which we all are very familiar I, with. There's, uh, there's, I'm sorry, could you read? Yeah, yeah it says, when it says the contractor continues to follow the referral process with public works, I just didn't know what that meant. What, what is the referral process with the public works? We will have to get. No, no problem. And then also, the contractor in the city have selected three dispute review board members for the contract. I was just wondering what was going on with, with that. And you can get back to us on that, too. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay, it's just, you know, these are kind of red yeah. flags. When I see re dispute review board, I just was... These are MTA-held contracts, so we'll... Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, Jonathan has some background. Let me, let me make an attempt to respond to your question. So, as since it is a CMGC project, Construction Management General Contractor, so we have set up a dispute resolution process, so it might be referring to one we might have borrowed from Public Works in the way that they do their contracts. So the referral may, and I, I don't have the full context of the paragraph, might mean a referral of a concern that a contractor has about a change order or other issue in the field. And then we have a process by which those concerns are escalated through management. So typically that would start with the construction manager in the field or the resident engineer. It might raise to the level of the head of program delivery in our capital division, all the way up to the director, maybe even Ed Riskin and his colleagues in the Public Utilities Commission and the Department of Public Works. Especially on issues, since Van Ness is a joint project where we're putting in sewer and water work for um, the PUC, there's road resurfacing work that we're doing on behalf of Caltrans through the Department of Public Works and our own bus rapid transit work. We have to work through all those departments when there's a dispute between the contractor regarding change orders on certain elements of work where the MTA might not control the budget or the agreement on the scope. So it wouldn't shock me if we're using a process that Public Works uses as the city's contractor and that that's the escalation path that we use to get a decision made. Okay, thank you. And I guess just before you step away, or if it is in your purview, just what's the, what's the upshot of this project? What's the over? I mean, we I read all the little project summaries. Everything seems pretty smooth and then you get to this one and so just if, if someone asked us if one of our uh, members of the public asked one of us on the committee 
gosh, that Van Ness has been torn up for so long. What the heck's going on over there? What would be the, the one or two sentence answer we would give people for the upshot of this? So it, there, there are two things going on. One is the major infrastructure repair that's going on on Van Ness Avenue. Despite, you know, the issues that we have in this current period of construction, the road needed to be repaved. So when we talk about the impact to people's cars and traffic, potholes and cracks impact a driver and their car and the maintenance and cost and insurance and everything that goes with that. With regard to transit service, you are gonna see a much better rapid transit service. It will be the city's first bus rapid transit, which is essentially you know, taking the elements of rail and putting them in a bus service, meaning a dedicated lane for transit, speeding up the service, having dedicated stops. So the new bus rapid transit will be in the middle of the street, so it will not have to deal with the congestion that goes with traffic on Van Ness. So that benefits the transit rider. And then of course, the city needs to go through the process to replace its water and sewer infrastructure throughout many areas of the city. So when again, you know, the, the city takes this opportunity to essentially make century-wide improvements, this is an opportunity. It's absolutely difficult to do that. It's complicated to do that. But when we do tear up the street, we want to try to get as much done as we can. That makes sense. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Kristen, um, one other thing, you know, this Today was actually the first time that I asked about claims, whether they're potential or actual ones. In the future, I'd also always like to hear about the status of any. Um, I know I, I, I'll try to remember to ask, but I am wont to forget. So if you guys could remember to include that in part of your, as part of your reporting when we meet next time. Thanks a lot. So I, I appreciate uh, how you have woven in um, outcomes in, in, in your narrative uh, when you were talking about uh, the project you're doing and how you're measuring success of them. Um, and I also appreciate um, from what Steve was saying that um, you know, we, we continue to measure after something's done. We continue to look at ways of improving. And I think that that is a fantastic um, way of doing these kind of improvements because you, you never quite know what's going to happen in the end. Um, one thing I didn't hear, and I think this was just a timing issue, was how you're measuring success around the p uh, pedestrian safety improvements areas. Um, I think there's probably a very direct way to measure success in that area, but. Um. Yeah, thank you. Mike is stuck. Now it's working. Uh, thank you for the question. So uh, the city and county of San Francisco over on all departments, we partner in the program that you might hear about, Vision Zero, our goal to get to zero traffic fatalities. Um, and so that, that is our absolute measure. And I believe we do some reporting with the controller's office and the MTA does its own reporting on the number of fatalities annually. So the, the measure is as we continue to move that number towards zero over time. So the improvements we make are directly related to studies we do across the city. We recently put out our updated action plan with regard to Vision Zero, which includes our high injury network. And those are the areas in which we'll focus our improvements. Any other comments or questions? Is there any comments from the public? Seeing none, thank you for your time. Item six, presentation from the Recreation and Parks Department about the following bonds and possible action by the committee in regards to such <coughs> presentation. A, 2000 Parks Bond, B, 2008 Park Bond, C, 2012 Parks Bond, Um, 
Good morning. Uh, my name is Toksa Jike. I'm the director of uh, capital and planning uh, for the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department. Uh, with me here today is uh, Antonio Guerra, our finance director. Um, I was just informed uh, moments ago that the port is not here this morning, but we'll do our best uh, to go through their slides. Um, from the th this is a slide of the 2008 bond. Um, all 12 projects from that bond is completed and open to the public. 99% um, of that fund is actually expended. Uh, the rest of the funds is actually being leveraged. A uh, really tiny amount has been leveraged uh, for the 2012 bond trail project, which we'll uh, embarking upon in uh, later this summer, and some forestry money. Uh, this is a slide of the 2012 Parks Bond current schedule. Um, with the opening of Balboa Pool in February uh, this year, uh, eight of the 14 voter-approved neighborhood park projects are complete and now open to the public. Um, the rest of the projects are either in bid or construction. Um, the only last project that will be going out to bid is uh, Rossi and George Christopher. Uh, we're currently very busy right now. Uh, Willie Wu Wong, uh, Margaret Hayward, Potrero, and High Turk uh, are starting construction uh, as I speak. Um, we aim to complete uh, the rest of this project by spring of 2020. Uh, this is a slide that sort of shows our neighborhood, our uh, citywide projects, and I've sort of categorized it in the different buckets uh, as sort of uh, enumerated in the bond. Uh, the Let's Play SF program, which is the public-private partnership project uh, between Recreation and Parks and Parks Alliance to renovate about 13 playgrounds uh, throughout the city. Uh, Washington Square is actually complete. We're happy to say that five projects will be going into construction this spring. Uh, they include uh, Merced Heights, uh, Sergeant McCauley, Alice Chalmers, McLaren, and the Panhandle. In McLaren Park, uh, the vision and plan is complete. Uh, we continue to sort of implement all of the projects that were prioritized from that program. Uh, community Opportunity Fund projects are also underway. Uh, the Golden Gate Tenants is an highlight of those projects in Geneva Carbon. Uh, in our water conservation program, um, Alamo Square is complete. Alto Plaza and Moscone are open to the public. The last project from the water conservation pro program is uh, Washington Square. Uh, we are slated to start construction for that project on May 1st. Uh, trails, we had a great opening uh, for the Golden Gate uh, Oakwood Trails uh, last this past February. Uh, this is highlights of, uh, of some of our recent milestones. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Balboa Park, uh, uh, which is uh, um, one of our uh, 
nine pools in our portfolio. Uh, this is number eight out of number nine. Uh, the last remaining pool will be Rossi, which, be, which will be going into construction later this uh, summer. At the end of this program, we would have renovated all nine pools from the 2000, 2008 and then 2012 program. This is a, a milestone that we're deeply, deeply proud of. Um, this is another picture of um, Washington Square playground. Uh, as I said, Willie Wu Wong is in construction now, so is Potrero Rec Center. Uh, in terms of next steps, uh, as I said, we are embarking on uh, the last phase of the 2012 projects. We hope to be complete in spring 2020. Um, we are also sort of uh, embarking on our bond planning as part of that effort. Uh, we are currently assessing all of our assets in our portfolio. Um, we, we have a, a new program that we are trying to work on um, where uh, we, we've assessed about, we'll be assessing about 54 million square foot of linear uh, and park assets, uh, which we're proud of, which we are proud of. Um, this will allow us to inform bond planning. It would also help us to sort of prioritize our deferred maintenance needs for our projects. Um, we are also looking into Prop uh, 68 uh, to leverage some funds uh, uh, to be able to do some of, to leverage funds to do some of the future bond projects. Also, uh, I'll switch over to uh, the waterfront. Real quick. Antonio Guerra, Capital Finance Manager for the Recreation and Parks Department. As Tokes mentioned earlier, the port could not make it today, uh, unfortunately. So I'm just going to try to go over their slides. Great to see new commissioners here. The port, as part of our 2008 and 2012 geo bond programs, is about one-sixth of the entire program, about $30 million in 08 and 12. And so for 2008, they have eight projects complete. The main project still in construction is Crane Cove Park, which spans both 2008 and 2012. As part of the 2012 program, the cruise terminal plaza has been completed, currently in design and environmental review. Islas Creek Improvements, Agua Vista Park, Heron's Head Park, and Pier 27 Public Art. Um, on the next slide, this is a schedule of the four core remaining projects. As I mentioned earlier, Crane Cove Park um, is the main project that spans both the 08 and 12 programs, and that is scheduled to be substantially completed in spring 2020. And um, if you have any questions about the port program, I'd be happy to give it a go, but I'm also happy to also forward any uh, uh, questions in detail onto appropriate staff at the port. And with that, we're happy to answer any questions. I, do we have a liaison for this bond? I don't think we do. No. Okay. Questions? Yeah, I, <coughs> I had one. Um, you mentioned, um, at one point, a public-private partnership, I think it was about the Let's Play SF program. Could you tell me a little bit about that, how you're implementing the, the, the PPP, the P3 system? Great, great, thank you. That's, that's a great question. Um, 
This is a public-private partnership with the uh, Pox Alliance. We are leveraging about $50 million that was allocated from the uh, 2012 bond, and we are raising uh, another 15. Uh, there was a, a task force that was put in place about two years ago, which identified about 13 projects. Six of those projects, uh, as I mentioned in my presentation, are either in uh, completed or in, will be in construction in spring. Uh, the, ne the next phase of those other projects will uh, probably start later this year in design. Um, the private portion of this, they've raised close to $13 million. Uh, so the idea is to leverage the uh, POX bond with the money that's raised to implement 13 um, uh, projects all around the city. So the money that you're raising, is that supplied by a contractor or is that donations? They're, they're mostly philanthropic donations. From? Philanthropic donations. Oh, okay. I think I understand. All right, thank you. I have some questions. Sure. Thank you. Um, and I understand the board representative isn't here. I just had, it wasn't clear to me about Crane Cove Park. <clears throat> Has all the funding for that park been secured? Um, yeah. I'm not 100% sure on that. I believe most of it has, though. Most meaning I, I, nearly all? Well, maybe next at the next I meeting. honestly would have to check. Yeah, if you could. It just, yeah. it wasn't clear in the description. Thank you. Uh, Lauren, could, um, could you guys have them respond by email? Absolutely. Not wait for the next meeting? Absolutely. Because um, it, it's, it's been on for nine years, um, and it spans two bonds, and it's, yeah. Thank you, Kristen. And then for the 2012 report, again, I found these reports to be very helpful. Thank you for preparing them. Um, and um, again, I have a, a couple of questions, maybe, again, for Peg's team, who's working on consistency among bond areas. Um, if in these individual project summaries, part project summaries, you could always call out for us um, when there are delays and uh, over budget items, just call them out and explain them. Okay. Again, not just a few sentences, just to make sure that it, we all are oh, aware of them. And, sure. of them. Thank you. And one, I was thinking of, of the Rossi pool, um, why there was a, a, a scheduled delay in that. It, it wasn't clear to me why that was. Uh, yes. This, we, it's a combination of factors. Uh, one has been in resources in terms of uh, project management resources uh, to be able to implement that project. Uh, the, we've also sort of encountered uh, with the really hot bidding environment, uh, the, the cost for this project is, continues to go up. Um, I'm happy to sort of announce that we have secured all of the funding for it and we'll be proceeding later this summer. Thank you. And then on the George Christopher Playground, I noticed that uh, the commission had approved the design in June of 17th, but construction wasn't going to begin until September of this year, over two years later. Why, why was there such a delay between yes, design approval and construction? Right. So the, the commission approved um, the concept design in 2017. Um, and then uh, subsequent to that, uh, Public Works, who's our partner in this project, went into detailed design. Uh, it took longer than expected because of resources on their side, but I'm happy to sort of say 
uh, we, we're, going to, we're actually out to bid last week, so we, we're excited to implement that project. Good. Also. Thank you. And then this is a general question, and it might be to one of your colleagues at, at Rec and Parks. Um, and it, it's interesting, it speaks to um, some of the committee, other committee comments to the transportation folks about an analysis of projects after they're complete. Is there any city follow-up after parks have been completed to judge their success? And I don't know how you measure success in a park. Perhaps it's the number of people that use it. But is there, um, again, any sort of studies or observations or, or something even more formal on is a park successful? Was the right amount of money spent? Was it too lavish a park? Was it not uh, lavish enough? Uh, San Francisco is a very dense city, but some neighborhoods are denser than others. And, and if some parks aren't, very, aren't used too often, yet we spent a lot of money to make them beautiful, is there any promotion or publicity done to get people to use new parks? That type of thing. I just was trying to get at, you know, one, you know once parks are built, how we analyze if the money was well spent and, and if parks are being used and if they're not, why not, and how can we get the public to know about them and, and use our beautiful new park? Right. Uh, those are really great questions. Um, one thing I'll say, um, there's never enough money to implement this project for so long. Um, but what we try to do is try to leverage the funds we have and address priorities that has been identified by the community. Um, in terms of a sort of a post-occupancy sort of... Uh, analysis, we are actually embarking on a uh, program now with our, our planning group, whereby we are actually studying uh, park usage at our children's playgrounds before they go into construction and then after. So there's a baseline of what's existing in terms of usage, and then um, there will be another uh, sort of uh, survey that's done to sort of measure uh, how, uh, how much uh, usage we're getting. Um, in terms of anecdote, uh, I can say that um, the, the, the success and the feedback that we receive through our social media channels through um, uh, the programming that we're able to offer in some of the sites uh, has been quite positive. So um, it's something that we're studying and we, we're going to try to do it better. Thank you. Um, just to add to what Tokes had to say, uh, two things. He mentioned they have a new way of studying uh, density and activity levels in the parks that they're implementing right now, which should provide some interesting feedback. And then, in particular, this subject's been on the GoBox uh, work list for the past fiscal year, and we recently completed a user satisfaction study at Raymond Kimball Playground, which was completed um, some months ago. So uh, you'll hear a formal presentation on that from our survey contractor at your next meeting. And they did intercept surveys in the parks, and it asked exactly the types of questions that you're highlighting. So I think you'll hear a lot of value from that. Thank you. May comment. Um, I, I actually, uh, my comment is actually directed to to the controller's office. 
Um, I see that we have on our agenda the three bonds, the 2000, the 2008, and 2012 bonds, and we just heard being reported that the 2008 bonds is 99% um, complete, meaning that expended. So my specific question to the controls office is, at what point can we close out the 2000 and 2008 bonds so we'll just remove this from the go box agenda? As, as I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll probably see a, a, another new bond for Rectum Park soon. Yeah, the, the value, Ben Rosenfield, controller, good morning. Um, the value outstanding on this bond is very low at this point, um, which is why Rectum Park in recent, recent updates to you has really devoted very little kind of time and attention to it. Um, there is a small residual value. Typically, we'd leave it on until it's fully spent. Because um, um, part of what we need to do, obviously, is to ensure that the bond funds continue to get out the door timely and, and get fully fully spent. But I would hope that it would be within the year ahead we will have a fully spent out bond. That is correct, Antonio Guerra, Capital Finance Manager. We have been notified by the controller's office that there's roughly $50,000 unappropriated in the 2000 general obligation bond. So before we close it out, we would like to do a final reconciliation. In 2008, there's roughly, uh, uh, yeah, about 100,000 community opportunity fund. I think the big project left is the Bernal Heights Trail, and we're also God is my witness, by the end of this fiscal year, <laughs> we're gonna close out forestry. So um, as much as I love talking to you about old bond programs, I also <laughs> want to close them out and we're looking forward to a 2020 geo bond program. So um, we will have further discussions and we will do our best to get this done as quickly as possible. Thank you, it's, it's, I, I raised the question mostly to, to uh, to discipline ourselves on kind of really accounting discipline issues so that if we off our agendas um, so as not to distract the active bonds. Thank you. Great. Thank you for your time. Uh, is there any public comment? No public. Seeing none. Item 7, presentation from the capital planning program of the updated capital plan and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Apologies. Um, so my mistake, I did not bring the presentation on a thumb drive. I will run downstairs and get it. And if you guys want to hear the next item, meanwhile, I'm happy to speak after that, if that's agreeable to the committee. That's agreeable. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Right so we'll move on to item. So we'll proceed to our next agenda item, which I think is other reports. 
in our packet. So at this time, we'll move to item eight for now. Item, opportunity for committee members to comment or act on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. I have a, a comment or a question, if this is the time. Um, the, the annual go, uh, Geobond program report that looked like this was in our packets, this was uh, great. How often is this done? It was for a eight, an 18 month period, January 17 to June to 18, 18, obviously the end of the fiscal, 17, 18 fiscal year, but started in the 16, 17 fiscal year. Um, do we get this every year? This, this was good. What a perfect segue. Uh, we have a short presentation on the report. Uh, good. It would please the committee members. And this is a report that, uh, um, it's a relatively new report we've worked on, so I believe this is the second time we've produced it. It's responsive to a request from GOBOC to produce kind of a wrap-up summary report that our office takes. This is a, an unusual 18-month period that you're looking at here because of uh, issues related to the city's cut over to new financial system. Um, but our goal is to have this as a 12-month report right. each year going forward. Thank and with that, I can turn it over to Marnie. Hi, good morning. Committee President Chu and committee members. Um, I'm Marnie Purcell-Hill. I'm with the City Performance Unit of the Controller's Office. Um, I, I'm excited to share this overview of scope, schedule, and budget uh, for the City's active general obligation bond programs that my colleague Heather Littleton and I, in collaboration with the bond program staff, put together. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to present to you here today. Uh, so this analysis represents the, an 18-month reporting period uh, and highlights changes since the prior year's report. So that's since um, from January 2017 until the end of fiscal year 18. Um, the 18-month reporting period accommodates the transition to the city's new financial system um, that was launched in the summer of 2017. The data in the report was collected from uh, the departments, uh, the uh, quarterly bond program reports, FSP, the Office of Public Finance, um, and bond program accountants. Uh, we also conducted interviews, uh, 10 interviews with about 40 different program staff. Um, the presentation is going to review at a high level scope, schedule, and budget status for all the active geobond programs and their components. Uh, each bond program is made up of three to eight different components, and the, those represent distinct projects or work areas um, and that are assigned to a lead department. Uh, within one bond program, you can have different lead departments. Um, so, for example, in the 2010 Easter bond, that consists of the uh, public safety building component and the neighborhood fire stations component, which are managed by public works, whereas the PUC manages the auxiliary water supply systems component. Components can be standalone uh, large-scale projects, such as the SFGH rebuild, or they can be ongoing programs uh, that consist of smaller improvements implemented over a period of time, like the sidewalk accessibility component within the road repaving and street safety bond. So this chart represents an overview of spending at the bond level for all nine active uh, geobond programs as of June 30th, 2018. As you would expect, the earlier bond programs have spent almost all of their authorized proceeds, so the orange bar um, is very close or at the gray line, which is the issued to date amount. The later bond programs uh, have, larger, uh, have a larger remaining balance, and so the blue bar, um, it, that's the blue bar, and those are, um, and not all have necessarily um, issued all of their authorized funds. 
Spending has progressed for all bond programs despite delays to some individual components. Um, and um, the rest of this presentation is gonna step through each of the bond programs um, and its components and focuses on changes in the reporting period. So that's um, from January 2017 uh, to June 30th, 2018. So starting with the 2008 SFGH rebuild bond, which, was, which funded the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center, uh, the new hospital opened in May 2016, um, was delivered under budget. The cost savings are funding four follow-on projects, um, and those are tracked in Appendix D of the report. They're worth about uh, 17 million. Of these four projects, um, only one remains to be completed um, as of October 2018. Work in this miscellaneous set of projects is underway and is being coordinated with the 2016 Public Health and Safety Bond Program. So the 2008 Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks program, bond program is very close to complete from a budget standpoint. 97% um, of, of the program's budget was expended as of January 30th, 2018. Uh, neighborhood Parks, which was the largest um, component, is complete. Um, the other two components, uh, citywide programs and the waterfront parks, are projected to be complete at the end of the year, so by January 2020. Um, remaining in the citywide programs component, um, our projects within urban forestry, trail restoration, and community opportunity fund subcomponents. Crane Cove Park is the final project in the waterfront parks component. Um, its schedule was extended by a year and nine months in the reporting period, um, and that's due to regulatory approvals from four different permitting agencies. Um, those were big contributors to the delay. The 2012 Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks, Parks Program includes the same components as 2008 with the addition of the citywide parks component, and that is Golden Gate Park, McLaren Park, and Lake Merced Park. Neighborhood Parks is the largest component, again, with about half of the program's budget. Uh, the schedules for three of the four components were extended during the reporting period, and the, the last project in the citywide parks component um, is now projected for completion by um, January 2021. The delays are due to extended community engagement processes, coordination with utility companies and other projects, and regulatory approvals. Um, one example of a delay due to coordination with other, other projects is the Agua Vista Park. Um, that's in the waterfront parks component, and this park is in the same area as some, several major capital improvement projects. Uh, the new basketball arena, the Mission Bay Ferry Landing, and the Terry Francois Boulevard realignment. Going to the uh, 2010 Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Bond, it's also close to complete with 90% of its budget um, expended. The public safety building was the largest component in this bond, and that was complete in 2015. The other two components, auxiliary water supply system and the neighborhood fire stations component, are projected to be complete by June 2021. Uh, neighborhood fire stations component is the main driver of the delay. Um, the reasons for this are that the program added new projects and um, also experienced some delays with, um, with contractors and regulatory approvals. Uh, the additional scope was possible because of cost savings from the public safety building and appropriated interest. 
The, um, there are five components in the 2014 ESER bond, three of which are new to the program in 2014, and two of these are standalone facilities, the Traffic Company and Forensic Services Division facility and the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner facility. Uh, together, these two new specialized buildings are over half of the program's budget. Uh, the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner facility was uh, completed in late 2017. The traffic company facility is delayed by about a year in the reporting period um, to a new expected completion date of October 2021. The traffic company facility is currently the last project to be delivered in the bonds program. Um, and this de the delay to this facility is due to added scope, per some permitting delays, and additional time that the program needed to align um, budget in response to high construction costs. The 2011 road repaving, a street safety bond, is also pretty close to complete with 91% of the program's budget expended. Um, sidewalk accessibility component was complete as of the last um, reporting period, and the street structures and traffic signals components are complete in this reporting period. The other two components, uh, street resurfacing and streetscape pedestrian and bicycle safety, um, which are 80% of the bond's budget, are projected to be complete by the end of 2019. And, and the end of 2020. The delays to these components are largely due to coordination and alignment with projects and other components and other departments um, to extended public input processes and unforeseen conditions. Um, although interdepartmental coordination um, can slow delivery, progr the program managers of this bond saw definite value in this practice for coordinating the timing of work across city agencies um, to reduce impacts to neighborhoods and increase efficiencies. There are eight pro components in the transportation and road improvement bond. These fund improvements to muni reliability and accessibility, the conditions of streets, and to make the roads safer for pedestrians, cyclists, and motorists. 30% of the issued funds have been spent in this program and about half of the bond proceeds have been issued. The Muni Forward Rapid Network Improvements component is the largest in the bond and funds the restructure of transit service on Muni's high ridership lines. Um, it has about 30 projects planned for this. Um, there were no delays in the reporting period, but individual projects in the Muni Forward component may be delayed. The program is currently expected to complete by December 2022. About 1,400 housing units are projected to be produced across the four components in the 2015 affordable housing bond. Uh, the components fund loans to developers for the construction of low and middle income housing projects and for the expedited development of public housing sites, Sunnydale and Potrero. They also provide down payment assistance to help households for, um, purchase a home. In the reporting period, program managers made changes to the methodology for estimating the number of housing units to be built with bond funds. Uh, this resulted in a lower unit count projection. So for example, managers are now estimating units produced because of extensive infrastructure development, um, but not for design and permitting. And both are part of the pre-development process and had been counted previously. The program's schedule is on track. In fact, three of the four bond program, uh, three of the four components shorten their schedule each by about a year. And the final set of projects in the middle income component is expected by September of 2022. 
Public health and safety bond is relatively new to the city's bond portfolio and as such five of the six components refined their scope in the reporting period. The majority of the bond is funding improvements to the ZSFG Building 5, which is the um, 1970s era building that was the main hospital until the new building was, was built. The scope of the ZSFG Building 5 includes nine, 19 different uh, projects, and examples of some of the projects that are included in these are seismic upgrade, roof replacement, IT infrastructure, also the relocations of services, um, like the rehabilitation department, urgent care, and the public health lab. The three-year delay to the Building 5 projects is due to better scope definition, a bid protest, unforeseen conditions, client identified scope changes, and an extensive plan reviews with the Office of Statewide Health Planning and Development. The ZSFG Building 5 um, projects are the last to be completed by the end of 2022. So the, these lessons learned represent themes we heard in our interviews and bond, um, with bond managers and their staff and address the sources of delay reported by multiple bond programs. High construction costs are prompting managers to adjust their scope and schedule expectations. Uh, this is a significant factor for current and future bonds and should be actively planned for assuming continuing construction market conditions. For instance, in the police facilities component for the Easter 2014 uh, bond, the, um, the lowest bid for one project came in 40% over original estimates. So managers uh, have to adjust by reducing scope or rebidding projects when appropriate. <laughs> Program managers mentioned several project types where pre-bond planning would help create more precise scope schedules, budgets, and contingencies. Um, for instance, with site assessment site conditions and seismic assessments, prototype projects in and over water such as the Fireboat 35, uh, Fireboat Station 35, uh, significant builds and specialty buildings and extensive renovations. All of these were examples of um, types of things, types of projects that could benefit from pre-bond planning. The ambulance deployment facility and community health centers were also mentioned by the public health and safety bond managers as places where pre-bond planning would have provided better insight into the full scope and seismic needs. Flexibility with the construction project delivery method, for instance, uh, using a design build model for fire station 35 or a construction manager general contract method for the traffic company facility was mentioned as a way program managers can better manage risks for project delivery. And interdepartmental coordination and community engagement were highlighted as important for minimizing construction disruption and ensuring project success. But both do require scope and schedule accommodations. So for example, the road repaving staff attributed minimized disruption and repaving efficiencies to monthly coordination meetings held with the PUC and MTA. Reporting standardization would enhance efficiency and accountability and transparency. For example, bond managers submit their plans in a variety of formats to the Office of Public Finance uh, prior to bond issuance. A standard format for these submissions would allow for a quicker comparison of plan versus actual spending. So thank you very much, and I'm happy to take questions. Questions, please. Um, could. Could we get, or is there available, you know, 
more of like a, what, a, a text that one associated with it, more, you know. Did you get this? A, a report. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't yes, get you that can. Far. There it is. So, <laughs> yeah. But the recommendations in particular. Um, yeah, are, they're in the executive summary um, and pr may provide even more examples of um, that support those conclusions and those recommendations. Okay. All right. So um, to Brian's point, uh, I noticed in this, the capital, 10-year capital plan, uh, which is also in our document, that on April 3rd, the plan is going to be heard by the Budget and Finance Committee. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can present the lessons learned to the Budget and Finance Committee of the, of the um, uh, of the Board of Supervisors, because I think it's very important as they think about 10 years of, you know, three or the billions of dollars here, that they understand that, that there's actually a lot of things that could make this more successful. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, I think that the pre-bond planning, um, uh, you know, I, I would love for that to be said stronger than maybe appropriate. Um, the pre-bond, um, just because a project manager might not have said it might be helpful, I, I, I as I look through the list of what we're doing, I, I can't imagine that pre-bond planning actually wouldn't be helpful for absolutely everything that we do mm -hmm. bonds um, and investing in money in that pre-bond planning. Because mm -hmm. I know that there's some, some scenarios where, where we can actually, um, I know that the, the, the ZSFG project in particular uh, found the money to do the pre-bond planning, which ended up resulting in a very successful project, the, the rebuild in particular. Um, it's a very good suggestion, which I can uh, make to the chair of the committee later today, actually, when I see her. Fantastic. And can you, um, uh, can you make sure that, that we are all understand what, when that meeting is going to be in case we want to um, participate in, in the discussion with the Board of Supervisors Budget and Finance Committee? Happy to do that. That we, it's, we spend a lot of time doing governance on bonds that they've already done, and we would like to make sure that their success um, is set up for particularly around governance. Thank you. Thank you, yes. Uh, this is fantastic. Thank you. It's extremely helpful. The other thing I wanted to um, ask about is how can we coordinate the, the knowledge that you have around each of these bonds with um, our liaison program, particularly as we're bringing new members on? Um, and it's kind of daunting to, to sort of have someone point at you and say, housing bonds, go make that work. Um, <laughs> Dane is trying to do, but I, I think that it would really help with that ramp up um, for all of our new members, um, perhaps when they're meeting with um, the stakeholders at the bonds and to have you there also to help talk through because it sounds like you're doing interviews also that is very much like the kind of interviews that we either do or would like to be doing. Um, so I think it might um, streamline that, that ramp up process certainly in the, in the knowledge transfer. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I learned a ton through this process so um, wherever I can impart that to others, it's great. Great. I'm going to be uh, uh, working with uh, the new members and the old members to assign the, some of the new projects, and so I will um, in, uh, make an introduction, um, ask to be made an introduction um, to the bond authorities, um, and, uh, and maybe uh, in all of those, you, know, you can be included. Um, first of all, uh, thank you for, for this report. It's... Um, uh, it's We've been waiting for it for a long time, and the way the format it is per bond is it's very clear, very succinct. And I want to follow up on um, Chairman's um, comment about um, about how this report actually has um, reminded us 
that our oversight responsibility is tremendously um, challenging because what you have laid out is that we oversee a total of $3.5 billion worth of bonds, over nine active bonds, 43 components, and 540 projects. So, you know, with, with this daunting task, um, I would just um, suggest to our chair and vice chair that the practice that we've had in the past to have each member be associated um, or, or be the liaison to each bond, I think that is critical to, for us to continue that task because it is almost impossible for all of us to develop some level of subject matter expertise in all these bonds to be able to do a good job. So um, I applaud your willingness to, going forward, be somewhat helpful um, to each of the individual liaisons because on this annual basis, you did it all on your own. Um, and your staff, so, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. well, thank you. Um, um, the, the second comment I have is uh, relates to, um, relates in agreement to the last um, recommendation you have addressing the pre-issuance planning and regular GOBOC reporting. I think that is critical because um, as, uh, as the unit goes to request, um, the pre-issuance planning, they have to provide their reasons and the timing of why they need to issue bonds for the funds. So our, our responsibility comes after the bonds are issued and when they start making the expenditures. So to the extent that we can keep the same type, format, um, elements of reporting, um, it would be easier for this group to, to conduct our oversight responsibility. So I think that makes perfect sense, and I don't know what it takes, uh, Ben, to make that happen. Getting to standardized reporting has been something that's been on the committee's list and our list, and we made limited yeah. progress on it in this last year, but we do look forward to spending more time working with the committee to kind of take some of the templates you see for a couple of the bonds and extending them to all of them. Um, so we're looking forward to engaging yeah. with that. Totally working on it. Got that one covered. So I did step out for a minute, and I, I thought we agendized the presentation of the capital plan for this. We and briefly we passed over it while okay. a presentation was getting retrieved. And so when you're oh, ready, we can okay, go back to back. that. Okay, good, 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 good. good. Capital plan is always my favorite. Thank you so much for your... Oh, is there any uh, public comment on this item? Seeing none. <clears throat> Things don't happen that quickly here. <laughs> Ken. Thank you. Uh, this one, this, they both work? 
Everything. Okay, thanks. Uh, apologies, members of the committee. I'm so sorry for my uh, confusion this morning. Despite the huge coffee, still somehow did not remember the thumb drive. But here we are. I'm very happy to present you uh, with our uh, report and update to GOBOC on the 10-year capital plan. I'm Heather Green, the Director of Capital Planning and also Deputy Resilience Officer in the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning, which fits very neatly on a business card, as you might imagine. Um, our office's role, we sit within the Office of the City Administrator, and our job is to promote the preservation and long-term sustainability of the city's capital assets and its resilience, uh, no matter the acute shocks and stresses that we as a city may experience. So um, the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning is the merger of two offices that happened about two years ago now. If uh, it doesn't sound familiar to you, there was an Office of Resilience and Recovery and a Capital Planning Program. The former Director of Capital Planning became our city's Chief Resilience Officer. And uh, so we are you know, continuing to think about our capital assets as we always have, uh, but with a renewed emphasis on resilience broadly speaking. Um, and so you know, increasingly we are trying to think about resilience challenges of, of all stripes. These are the six resilience challenges that are identified in our Resilient SF strategy. Um, and you can see some of them are traditional capital planning type concerns like aging infrastructure, certainly, and earthquakes, long a priority of San Francisco's capital planning. But we're also looking to the future and acknowledging the um, potential threats from climate change and sea level rise in particular on our city, as well as the very real threats of social inequity and unaffordability that our city faces um, and that we need to address as we address our aging infrastructure. You can't do any one of these things in isolation. Um, the capital plan, for those of you less familiar with it, is a constrained 10-year plan of finance. Here is a, you know, it comes out looking about like this, and we also reproduce it in full on, the, uh, on our website. Um, this was created first in 2006 to help coordinate and prioritize our infrastructure investments. So this was before my time, but my understanding is there's a little bit of a Wild West situation where whoever got the last word in got the bond. And we are trying to be more systematic than that. Uh, that is no good for anyone. So uh, we include in the plan our funding principles so that we can, as a city, have something to refer to when we understand, that, to help better understand and remember why we fund what we fund. And um, the current plan here, it says it captures $35 billion. That is the most recently approved plan, which is now nearly 10 years old. So I'll talk about the plan going forward in a second. But, uh, and then the plan really focuses on three major programs. The pay-as-you-go program, which is largely our cash, general fund cash program, uh, the general obligation bonds of interest here especially, and then our uh, local debt, general fund debt and revenue bonds. Um, the plan gets updated every other year. We're in the final stages of that update now, and so I'll tell you a little bit about what you can expect to hear at committee on April 3rd if you are able to join. So the plan is a 10-year plan, as I stated, and the service areas have held constant for some time now. We have seven service areas, and this view shows kind of the distribution of where investments are planned, uh, split by general fund departments, enterprise departments, and external agencies. So the plan is a place where we try to capture what's going on with building in San Francisco. We don't control absolutely everything that we name in the plan. Our external agencies represented include the school district, for example, 
BART, Caltrain, you know, the city has a role and a partnership with those agencies, but we don't exactly, you know, get to direct the course of the spending. But for our general fund departments especially and our enterprise departments, you know, we record and help make decisions about where funds will go. So you can see that the general fund departments here represent about $5 billion of planned investment over the next 10 years. And then our enterprise departments are really driving the ship uh, when it comes to quantity of planned spending, $20 billion. So that, you know, we, we do what we can towards our general fund department needs, which are many, uh, but it, the enterprise departments with their own uh, sources largely are, are building heavily. The funding principles I mentioned, so these are um, where we strive to do what we need to do before the things that we want to do, although you know, we want to do the things we need as well. Um, so we strive to support projects that address legal or regulatory mandates, right, things that we are compelled to do, and also those that protect the life safety of San Franciscans, workers, residents, visitors, and enhance our resilience. Uh, ensure asset preservation and sustainability, so taking care of the things we own before we build new. Obviously, we are also building new, but um, to the greatest extent possible, we try to be good stewards of the things we own and view new construction as a last resort. And then we su support the programmatic and planned needs of our elected leaders and leader executive leadership and uh, look for projects that support economic development, which of course all construction does by virtue of being a, a job creator. But there are also projects that you know, explicitly support that field and that's part of our plan as well. Not listed here because it's not one of these tiered principles, but something that we did add to the plan this year is an acknowledgement of the importance of equity in our capital spending um, and all of our major capital project departments have equity strategies uh, that they work towards and so we, we hear those at committee and, and you know, look at projects through that lens as well. There are a handful of policies that are represented and um, you know, codified in the capital plan. Uh, these are uh, all about the PAYGO program. So uh, we strive for a 7% growth rate. There's a recommended 7% growth rate of the annual PAYGO program, um, which in fiscal 20 would be $157 million general fund and SB1 streets repaving commitment. It's a blended program. Uh, we have a pavement condition index for the city of seven, the target there is 75. Uh, up until this plan, that was 70, and then they changed the scoring without um, changing what that meant for the quality of the streets, really. So um, we adjusted the target. We are uh, at 74 presently and striving for 75 by 2025. Uh, we want to continue to prioritize uh, accessibility, barrier access uh, removal projects, and we have an ongoing curb ramps right-of-way program that's supported through the PAYGO program. And then uh, acknowledged in this $10 million a year commitment is that you know the PAYGO program is supposed to be primarily for renewals, um, taking uh, replacements and repairs of the things we own to extend their useful life. But we acknowledge that in any given year there are going to be critical enhancements, and so we, uh, which is more building new or um, building above and beyond the original uh, useful life and purpose of an asset. And so we carve out a little bit of room in the cash program for that. Um, this slide here shows how important our bonds are to our general fund departments. So in the pie on the left, you see uh, funding sources across just the general fund departments, and you see that GEO bonds make up a third of the funding there. 
uh, all departments, so that includes our enterprise departments, bonds are important, 11%, but a smaller piece of the pie as they have many more sources available to them on a federal, for major federal and state investing. Um, this is the like feel good but not too good chart. So in the bottom, uh, I'll look at the bottom first. So the blue line represents our recommended PAYGO funding level, right? So that's how much we're trying to commit in PAYGO cash towards our renewals need. And then the red line is the level of need. So you can see in this plans chart, those lines cross. That was not the case last time around or the time before. So we are making progress and that that the interpretation there is that in fiscal 27, if we continue to fund the PAYGO program at the level we need, we will meet that year's annual need level. The bad news is up above where the dotted line shows our backlog, we're starting at $799 million today. We know that we have intense need and so that that backlog need only barely starts to turn down even as we invest more in cash. Um, this shows our uh, funding outcomes by type. So you can see that there are some uh, parts of the, this is again to the PAYGO program, I won't belabor it, but if I could just call your attention to the bottom where we see that even with this recommended funding level, we don't even, we get just over 50% uh, towards our renewal need at the 10 year aggregate level. So this is, is all just to say we still, we are doing so much and we have so much more to do and need to find ways and sources to commit towards our renewal needs so that we don't run to fail. Um, as I mentioned, there are two major debt programs that, uh, pertain to our general fund departments. Uh, the first is the COPs program or the general fund debt program. Um, and I will just run through these uh, in case anything is of interest to committee. Uh, the first is the 101 Grove exit. So 101 Grove is one of our seismically most vulnerable buildings. Public health administrative staff works there. This exit program is not to uh, retrofit that building, but rather to create exit destinations for them, one at Building 9 on Zuckerberg's campus and the other at Laguna Honda. There is also the relocation of Tom Waddell Clinic here from the back of 101 Grove. Uh, that will go into 1064 or 1068 mission. Uh, COP support horizontal infrastructure for our HOPE SF projects. Uh, there is a need for a replacement family services center. Uh, this is the replacement of offices at 170 Otis. That was recent, the seismic evaluation of that building was recently completed. That uh, is a high priority project for the same reason. There are a lot, there's over 600 staff in there plus uh, vulnerable service populations and we need to relocate that office, looking for a location for that. Uh, the Hall of Justice, which I've been working on since I started with the city, as has my predecessor, I think. Um, so uh, the Hall of Justice is at 850 Bryant. This is another seismically vulnerable building with a jail, numerous city offices. We are, again, solving with exit destinations. So some of those will be solved with lease. Those are not eligible for certificates of participation, but... Uh, there are other components of the exit that are like site acquisition and tenant improvements at sites that we do own. On controller's recommendation, we have programmed here $120 million over two years for critical repairs in the event of an economic downturn or slowdown. Um, we know that as one-time spending capital is a great use of source of one-time funds, but it's also vulnerable in the event of a slowdown and so, uh, but the needs won't go away, right? And so we wanna 
preserve some capacity there. And then in the out years projects to which we are still, you know, we're still designing, still trying to figure out what exactly uh, we need with regards to the public works yard consolidation and the Hall of Justice. One thing we know we need to do with the Hall of Justice is knock down the Bryant Street wing to create space to rebuild the capacity that we need. But the vision of this administration is a reconsolidated justice campus downtown um, for efficient operations and, and effective justice programming. Uh, this shows that program against its constraint, which is not to spend an excess of 3.25% of discretionary revenue on debt. Um, and you can see that there is space in the front years, but as we get towards the, towards the end of the 10-year time frame, we do, we do hit it. It is programmed to its constraint. The bonds. Here we are. <laughs> so uh, the general obligation bond schedule is represented in the capital plan, and this reflects the programming from the proposed plan. The draft plan, there's a, there was a significant adjustment from the draft plan to the proposed plan, which is to invert the order of housing and ESER. So in the draft plan, we had housing in March 2020 and uh, ESER in November of 2019, but those have been flipped, and that's my understanding of what we can expect going forward. Uh, the affordable housing bond is programmed at $300 million, and I'm sure you guys are all aware about the task force or working group that's coming together to help program and prioritize for that. Uh, for the ESER bond, there are a handful of programs that are named in the bond as likely, uh, you know, as the pots that we need to support. One of those, some of them are familiar and some of them are new to this current bond to meet current needs. You know, it's a blend of programmatic projects like neighborhood fire stations and uh, police facilities, but also these one-time needs. So um, programmatically, we're looking at $125 million for neighborhood fire stations and uh, 121 for police. There is a $9 million DEM 911 call center expansion project. So that is not a new building construction, but rather expanding within the footprint of 1011 Turk to accommodate uh, the operational needs that they'll have going forward. The, workspace, the workstations themselves are growing. The number of screens is growing. And so we need to push out within the walls and relocate some staff. Um, we need to build a new fire training facility the one that we, we currently have two, one in the Mission and one in Treasure Island. The one at Treasure Island is being displaced due to development, and that is expected to happen as early as 2024. Uh, fire Department has done some pre-planning pre on that front to try to understand what they need and how big of a site they need, and that search is still underway. Uh, the emergency firefighting water system is another major part of the ESER bond program. In the plan, that is programmed at $125 million, and PUC, Fire and Public Works, City Administrator have been working together um, very closely over the last few weeks, especially to try to um, articulate the plans for those funds, and you can expect to hear that at committee, certainly. Um, oh, and there's a $70 million program for seismic priority facilities. So this is the Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Program. Earthquake safety uh, is, of course, is, is, earthquakes are dangerous across the board, but they are especially dangerous when they have the capacity to interfere with our emergency response. Um, there are a number of facilities in the city's public portfolio that have response roles, things like shelter, mass care, and so on. Um, and some of those buildings are especially vulnerable. Some of them even have, um, you know, predicted death casualties 
in our modeling. And so we need to get ahead of that. Um, we can't really let that stand. And so uh, the idea is to retrofit ahead of time and, and avoid that. In the parks and open space category, $255 million bond program for 2020, as Tokes was saying. Um, there are a number of pro projects that are named as sample projects here. Parks like housing will go through a robust community, you know, stakeholder process before the bond comes out and you can expect to see a report, you know, that would go uh, before the voters. The kinds of projects we've been hearing about for a long time and seem like likely candidates include Portsmouth Square, Japantown Peace Plaza, there are needs at Golden Gate Park, um, India Basin, we heard an exciting announcement this week that is a major project that uh, has needs, Crocker Amazon, um, and so on. In the transportation bond, so this is another adjustment, not from the draft to the proposed, but from the last capital plan to this one. That one had uh, been programmed for 2024, but we understand that there is a significant and important cash flow need around the facilities for MTA for their build progress program. So with all the light rail vehicles that we have been purchasing, a new fleet, longer footprint, um, the facilities we have need to be expanded. And if we don't get to the cash flows uh, sooner, we will run out of swing space. And so this is to avoid um, an expensive workaround that would not really be a good permanent solution. So we've pushed them to 2022. Um, so as not to have competing measures, we have pushed public health to 2023. That uh, dovetails nicely with kind of their modified schedule um, and projects there would include uh, building 8090 at Zuckerberg. And then there are a number of clinic needs, including Silver Avenue Terrace. Um, the waterfront safety bond is a new addition to the bond program. So we just passed the Seawall bond, very exciting, $425 million down payment on the needs there. Um, we know that that's a multi-billion dollar need over the long term. And so the inclusion of this $150 million acknowledges that we will need to keep spending to fight uh, the threats that encroach upon us at the waterfront. And then the cycle begins again, uh, earthquake safety and parks. Um, and so that is a total of $2.5 billion in planned spending. Since uh, 2008, the Zuckerberg bond, which was the first pass since the capital plan was published, we have passed 3.9 billion, as you're saying, kind of the, the major um, portfolio that you all have to oversee continues to grow, and we hope it will continue to do so. Uh, last slide here is just the geo bond program against its constraint, which says that we will not raise property tax rates as a result of bonds that the city controls. So not represented here, for example, would be schools bonds, city college bonds. Those are things we have conversations about, but they have their own decision-making bodies. Uh, but you can see here that, um, that we program fully. <laughs> Want to make the most of the source that is so vital, especially to our general fund departments, as I was saying. Um, and with that, I will just uh, mention the calendar. So you uh, had mentioned earlier, April 3rd to Budget and Finance Committee um, and approval from the full board, full board by May 1st. We don't yet have the date of that full board hearing, um, but we will take adjustments, comments as they come and work them into the final document that we'll publish on our website. That's it, happy to take any questions. Great, thank you. Questions? 
I just have a comment. It was very helpful to hear your verbal presentation with the slides. This, it, just to have your additional comments fleshing it out, telling us the origin of 1SF. And so thank you for your detailed comments verbally. Sure. Thank you. I do have a question of, of clarification in the, in, in the slide that's uh, labeled proposed debt program towards the end. Mm -hmm. um, there is uh, a reference to the bond capacity, and if I'm reading this chart right, um, there is this red line towards the left 0.12%. Yeah. Um, it seems like that's this ceiling, if you will. Um, this 0.112%, what is it based on? 0.12% of what? That seems to be our capacity. Yes, correct. Um, and so that's based on the 2006 tax rate, and it's a percentage of the assessed value. So as the assessed value of properties in the city grows over time, so does the capacity. So the chart should have a, should say that. Yeah. We should add that. Should yeah, there's no label. Oh, yeah, sorry. We can add a label. We can add a In the book, it has a label. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. How long has that been 0.12%? Um, so that, since 2006. So we look to the 2006. How can it be raised? For, does it ever get how does it often does it ever get raised? that that was the first year the city produced the the 10-year capital plan effectively and so kind of the the poli the financial constraint that was adopted then and has continued since is basically kind of this planning goal that the amount of general obligation bonds outstanding and secured against property taxes then yeah. would remain consistent as a rate going forward and we would only plan new as old bonds were retired as the property tax rate So that grew. was by the Board of Supervisors back in 06, for it is example. A, exactly, and it's been reaffirmed with each capital plan since then. As it a has. matter of law, the city and the voters could approve right. more general obligations bonds than this. This is not a, a legal constraint, but rather a planning constraint. Um, but I think most folks feel that it's been an effective way to kind of both constrain, but then also to build voter support for, for bonds. And as Heather mentioned, we've had uh, we have not had a geo bond rejected by the voters since this uh, planning process has been put in place. Have, so is there any thought of ever raising that cap? Um, it comes up every time the capital plan no is doubt. brought forward because of course there's more need than, than even a two to three billion dollar program can, can bring up. I actually think the housing bond discussion that will be happening at the Board of Supervisors and the mayor is probably gonna bring up this exact question in coming months as the city considers uh, a potential additional affordable housing bond for this November's ballot. I would be shocked if there wasn't kind of active discussion about whether we should live within the, the property tax rate goal that's established in the capital plan or ask the voters to exceed it. Thank you. I have another question. Um, on the slide number five at, uh, with the label proposed capital plan, um, I noticed that there are several categories, and um, I'm looking at the totals, mm -hmm. and as I was reading it, um, I, was, I was interested to find out uh, how the allocations 
of the dollars among these several uh, categories were arrived at. For example, transportation seems to have the largest chunk of around 45%. And then infrastructure has around 25%. And then economic and neighborhood development is about 18%. Now, I understand these are capital plan, um, proposed capital plan. I was a bit um, surprised to find that something like health and human services has a very low number. So can you walk us through mm -hmm. um, the process of thinking behind how these numbers are assigned to these different categories? Yeah, so it really speaks to um, the difference in availability of sources to support different kinds of projects. So when you look at those like health and human services, for example, which is uh, the small, uh, second to smallest and general government as well, these things are entirely, almost entirely general fund departments. And as I was saying earlier, so the, the kinds of sources, there's not um, dedicated revenue as there is with our enterprise agencies where the PUC, for example, pulls in water revenue, wastewater revenue, and then can bond against it. So they have their own supply of debt that they can devote to their infrastructure. Uh, the general fund universe of sources available is more constrained, and then there are more players um, you know, with needs that need to be balanced. And so when we look at the pie chart of sources that are getting applied to general fund departments versus enterprise departments, it's exactly that that you're seeing, that the, the bonds, which are finite, have to be spread across a large number of needs and infrastructure types. And so you know, we see a spreading of the spending. Um, it's also worth mentioning, though, that in those totals for economic and neighborhood development, for example, and transportation, there you're really seeing a lot of external spending as well. So that's Caltrain, that's the, uh, the Joint Powers Board, like those kinds of things weigh into those totals. Um, but even within just our enterprise departments, it's a big difference, and, and that's part of the reason. Uh, the federal and state opportunities that are dedicated to those kinds of horizontal and transportation infrastructure, that those sources are just bigger. So if I'm understanding this correctly, um, of course, this general funds is, is what's guiding some of these, right? So um, some of these funds, some of these departments um, that do not attract revenue or do not attract um, state support, they tend to get the slowest amounts simply because of the way they are there, and there, less of how much we want to allocate to them. Yeah, is so that a the, correct way of looking at this? I mean, at, from the highest level, yes. There's less available to those kinds of agencies dedicated for capital due to differences in sources available. Within the PAYGO program, though, where we, um, you know, kind of, program the renewal dollar, so the state of good repair spending across general fund departments. That is uh, a percentage by formula spread across all departments. So it's not the case that within the renewals PAYGO program that health and human services is getting less than the public safety departments. Our general fund departments see uniform planned allocations. That all gets haggled over at budget time, but in terms of like what we recommend, we're recommending an even spread across those needs. Thank you. When you first look at it, it's almost counterintuitive. 
Yeah, I mean. Thank uh, you for the explanation. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Um, so I, I appreciate how thoughtful your, your approach has been over the years. I think it, um, that that trust in that um, 0.12 percent is um, is something that, as a voter, I I, I believe in. And so I'd be a, I would be disappointed if the board of supervisors decided to ask us to change that. Um, the problem, so one of the problems that happens for GOBOC in the way that you're planning these things um, is uh, your got some real general categories. You're going out once, you know, every every time you're going out for, for one more bond, and the bonds are these general categories, and they seem to be these sort of catch-alls for lots of different projects, and you went through them um, for us, um, you know, point by point. Um, that makes it extremely hard to govern these. Um, it makes it very hard, um, you know, it, if I'm sure you were here, um, for uh, Marnie's presentation, um, that causes us lots and lots of trouble <laughs> in trying to um, make sure that the will of the voters is done, is done when general when the bonds are so general that it's hard for voters to figure out what they're going to get out of it. Um, and you compare that to your general fund debt schedule, and that's very specific. I mean, you're you're saying we're we're going to work on the Hall of Justice, um, and that mm -hmm. that's sort of how bonds used to be. Is is you could look to something and say, yes, I understand how that's being used. Um, I personally am working on the um, uh, the uh, public health bond of, 26, of 2016, and that's just all over the board. Um, it's multiple departments. It's mm -hmm. all you know. It's um, it's being changed. It's being re, you know priorities are shifting. Um, uh, so can can you give us any advice on how how we should be looking at this? Um, uh, you know, I, as I said earlier, the um, pre bond planning. I think even when there's lots and lots of things is. Mm -hmm incredibly helpful yes. um, to us in getting these bonds right, yeah. um, but I don't see the Board of Supervisors and um, I, I don't see sort of a, a mandate coming down from anyone that says, hey, let's, let's really do the planning so that we know what the voters are going to get out of these things. Um, yes. Now, just because the voters are saying yes to, to everything we put in front of them doesn't, yeah, knock on wood. doesn't mean uh, it's, it's necessarily <laughs> the, the best way for us to be spending dollars and proving showers at fire stations. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, accountability to the voters is paramount. I mean, that's something that, that we at Capital Planning Committee value just as you do at this, and we hear annual updates on the bonds as well. Um, you know, I think the value of program level uh, bond uh, planning is useful because needs come up and some flexibility is important. That should not come at the expense of clarity or transparency or an obvious relationship between need and funding. So for example, around neighborhood fire stations, we know that our neighborhood fire stations need work. People live there, people work there, they are essential facilities, they need to work in an earthquake so that it, the bay doors need to open so that the engines can get out, that kind of thing. Um, from where I sit, the need known is so huge that even the large bond program amounts are just chipping away at a massive problem. And so to your question about, you know, advice, if I may, um, you know, just the, the, the bond managers, the program managers who work at that programmatic level have uh, studied the need across the portfolio of those of each program and so you know asking for information about that need may help give some insight into what it is that they're 
doing. Um, the bond, the program type uh, spending, they, one of the advantages that we want to pursue that we've learned over the years is the advantage of you know, putting packages out to bid where you are bidding for the same kind of work across multiple stations. So the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing work that's so expensive to do it station by station and name each station that you're going to do and bid that potentially separately would be much more expensive and slow and not as efficient as bidding as a bundle. So that bundling is good as long as you know that the work that's getting done is the work that's needed. And I think understanding the need would be the first step there. Um, completely concur with your remarks about the value of pre-bond planning. So we have the revolving capital planning fund um, and that's something that we reprogram as bonds are issued. Funds come back to that, uh, dollars come back to that fund and we're able to program again anew. That's something that we have been doing for the coming ESER bond and we'll plan to continue to support to the greatest level that we can. Um, but agree, you know, I think that that story from Zuckerberg about like how we were able to deliver this nearly billion dollar project so, so well is really a, is a wonderful lesson. We saw it with the public safety building as well, right? It came in under budget and you know, it is, it's, we are doing that uh, when we have the resources to do it. So, you know, nothing but agreement here on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's easy to do that on a, on a project where you know exactly what you're doing, right? But it sounds like yeah. you're suggesting a whole lot of trust in the bond uh, program managers. Um, and I, I don't feel comfortable um, saying, you know, find out, you know, the, the reasons why they're prioritizing this, because it's, it's my subjective idea that a shower it's is not, important versus or something uh, else. How, is there a quantitative way for us to, to look at these programs, again, like the health, the health one, there's, there's like 15, 20 different things going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't characterize it as subjective so much. Uh, they have, quantified the kind of level of need across lots and lots of different kinds of subsystems uh, for the neighborhood fire stations especially. And so you can see kind of the total amount of uh, plumbing needs, for example, or the app bay doors or the generators, like to that level of detail. And then, you know, it it's about what is most urgent for the operation. That's where the fire department weighs in and says, you know, this is really what we need at this time in order to make these stations more livable, more functional, et cetera. Um, and so that, that information exists and could be beneficial, I think. Madam Chair, one of the things that occurs to me, if, if you'd be interested in trying it, um, each of these bonds, before they go forward, of course, goes through a long process, including coming back through the same capital planning committee and then the Board of Supervisors, and there's a bond report prepared that while it's not the legal text of what the voters approve, really, I think, is fundamentally the expectation against we're usually judging. As one of these upcoming bonds comes forward, we could review the content of that bond report, not so much because to, to review whether these are the right projects or not, but is there information that could be included within the bond report that would make judging it after the fact easier? Yeah. And that's something we could certainly commit to doing with the capital planning staff and that, with an interested yeah. member of the committee, like the upcoming ESER bond might be a good opportunity to kind of ask ourselves whether we're presenting the right things in those reports. 
That would be great. Because just to be clear, up until now, all we've got is what we read as a voter. Right. So you guys all know a lot about what these bonds are. Yeah. And once a year, we, we hear from you to talk about this stuff. But yeah. it sounds like there's tons and tons of planning you guys have going on, but we don't have access to it. So I'm literally like, the it's bond, what I saw on television. Yeah, the bond reports are public documents. So um, they're all the, the bond reports for past bonds are available as well. That would be helpful. Great. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you. Is there any uh, public comment? Seeing none. Okay, um, we're gonna move back to item eight, B, standardized templates. Good morning, committee members. Peg Stevenson from the controller's office. Um, in item eight, you have a number of things that have been on your work plan during the fiscal year, and we have progress reports at each meeting, sometimes for all of them, sometimes just for a few. So we can just go down the A through D here. Um, a was the bond report, which uh, you have heard from Marnie, and um, that's a important product which serves both our interests um, in reporting on bond activity from our program, the performance program in the controller's office, and is your report and gets appended to your annual report um, as a substantive report on the bond. So just to remind you of those two uses of it. Um, standardized templates has been on our work list with you for the last fiscal year, and we have not done a lot of work on it primarily because of the issues with the FSP reporting that were discussed earlier. So it took a long time to transfer and clean up all the capital program data into the new financial system, and that's why Marnie and Heather's report was an 18-month period, not a 12-month period. Um, it is not completely done now, but I think it's um, you know, almost completely done. So all the bond programs are now able to report to you with current data, resident in the new financial system. So the noise in that area is gone, I hope, and we can now work on standardized reporting. Um, and we can work with you on that between now and the start of your work program in next fiscal year. I can't promise that we would have it finished by the time you started hearing bond program reports next fiscal year, but we can make some good progress on it. Um, so I will set aside staff hours in my work plan, um, some in the fiscal quarter that's about to start, not a lot of time then, but then more in the first quarter of next fiscal year to work with you and the Department of Public Works and all the other bond program managers and stakeholders in, in that material to uh, get to some more standardized formats. That's great. Um, I, I, I have offered to be a part of that, but it sounds like Lauren, actually. Got a lot of, got a lot of uh, happy to help. feedback on what those reports could be. So, okay. Any uh, anyone else interested in being a part of the um, the development committee? <laughs> today. So um, then we'll reach out to to you, the chair and vice chair, yeah. when we are ready with a sort of plan of action on that. That'd be great. Okay. Um, expenditures audits. We don't have one before you right now, but um, just to give you a little verbal update from the audit program, uh, they have seven complete, which you have seen before. There's one underway, which is the 2015 affordable housing bond, and that will be issued in June of 2019. And then they have two planned in next fiscal year, so public health and safety 2016 bond 
and affordable housing 2016. So expenditure audits are planned for those two programs during fiscal year 1920. And uh, as I mentioned before, another item on our work plan with you is the uh, public perception study, um, referencing uh, Commissioner Post's comment. We are finished with that report, and it's ready to go. We, we knew you were going to have a long meeting today, so we didn't include it, but we'll have it ready for your May agenda. And um, again, just to remind you, this is a desire on your part and ours both to um, test public perception and understanding of um, improvements that have been built with bond money. We've had a professional contractor doing intercept surveys at two sites, which you helped us with the choice of uh, some time ago. One was the Raymond Kimball Playground. The other is the Bartlett uh, Streetscape Project, which is a secondary street in the mission. And the report will be ready. Um, we may. Uh, actually publish it before your meeting. I'm not sure about that, but in any case, we'll have our survey contractor here to give you a formal report on the findings at your May meeting. And I'll make sure that the agenda accounts for time for that. I'm really looking forward to it. Interesting findings. And so that's it for our uh, items with you. And uh, Anna can comment on the public finance calendar, which is also listed under this item. Thank you, Peg. Um, so on our forward calendar, we have um, a few uh, bond issues. The one that is coming up um, soon is for the $425 million seawall bond that was approved in November of 2018. Um, we're going to be issuing the first series of bonds under that program, um, expected to close uh, in June of this year. And then um, Next, we will be looking to uh, some of the uh, programs that still have outstanding authorization, such as um, Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks has about $3.1 million left, um, the Affordable Housing 2015 bond, and then um, the Public Health and Safety bond are um, all financings that could come to market before the end of the calendar year. Um, do we have that written in here? Because it wasn't in my uh, version. You know, we have a different, uh, there was a different chart this time, which is actually the authorized um, bonds uh, outstanding and then the authorized and unissued. But next time we'll, we'll go back to our typical format. Yeah, that was great. Um, it, who created this? Can someone walk us through this? Sure. So this is a, a table that we use um, when we go out to market. So when we sell bonds, we prepare an offering statement. Um, and as part of that offering statement in the appendix, we include a table um, that is very similar to this one. So it's updated a couple times a year at least. Um, what this shows is, um, I think if you look at the, the middle column in the, the total there of the $2.5 billion, that's all of our geo bonds that are currently outstanding. And the way they're categorized, you can see um, on the left here, so um, the, they're categor categorized by authorization. So the seismic safety SSLP is, is with the repurposing because that was repurposing of seismic safety. And then you can see, you know, there's the 2008 parks and so on. Those are all the different um, authorizations ending with the most recent seawall one. And then the next category, we also show our geo refunding bonds. So just as you can refinance your mortgage, you can also refinance um, general obligation bonds. And so those are listed at the bottom there. Um, the, the issued column shows 
what what has been issued to date of of um, items that fall under under these authorizations, and that's a total of about four billion. But as we since we pay down debt after we issue it over time, the current balance of what's been issued is two point five billion, which is that middle column. And then finally, the authorized but unissued, um, you can see, you know, at, if you look at the bottom, so that totals about 1.1 billion, but you can see at the bottom here, I noted we'll, we're gonna be issuing the first series for the seawall. You know, we've got 425 million that's authorized and unissued. And so um, that's just the balance of, of what's left and what can be issued and, and will likely be issued in the coming years. And, and um, in tranches for some of them. Okay, so for my colleagues, this is you know this is our scope. This is this is what we're responsible for. Um, uh, it it also um, th it replaces this, or it's thinking about replacing this one in your packet, which is a little bit harder to read. Um, I I don't think it completely does. Um, some of the things I see missing on here is um, uh, what is called here an um, authorized amount. Um, so I, I don't know what, what we want to do about reconciling these two, two documents to each other. But oh. um, Wait, a, so would it be helpful in our document to have um, an additional column that showed the initial authorization or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like okay. it, it was a billion dollar bond. We've yeah. issued fi half a million of it. Then that, that's, that's sort of the interesting part is that, oh wait, half a million is unissued kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, I, the outstanding column, I'm not sure that that's, that's, a, that's about a finance thing on um yeah that's i think that the investors care a lot about that is just how paying much off our debt. yeah how much yeah. debt is currently on our books so that's why we show that column right right but and we then, can yeah we can add the authorized and then you could see um may, may i add a point to the outs, outstanding column that's important uh, i think as relates to oversight because they are outstanding the issues have been funded, and these are actually the dollars that end up in the expenditures that we're supposed to oversee, if you think of it that way, because the outstanding are dollars that have ever been issued. I, but I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's that the bond is paid for it. I think that, that, that the city of San Francisco hasn't paid it off yet. Is it, which one of those is it? It's correct. So, so when we sell bonds, we'll get the, the lump, lump sum up front, but then we pay it pay back those bonds over time, typically over a 20-year period, um, except for the... Right, so it's not, it's, not, it's not that, you know, you're right, you're, you're, it's missing a huge part of this, which is saying, saying, you know, we gave you half a million dollars um, and you have only spent, you know, 20,000 of it, what happened, you know, you're sitting on a whole bunch of cash, right? So I think, I don't know how to reconcile these two things. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the interesting thing from, from our perspective is how much... You know, why are they going out for another issuance if they already have, you know, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of dollars? Yeah. So, so th that's why I'm saying the outstanding relates to but it doesn't. the ongoing, so, some of the ongoing expenditures. Maybe I'm missing something totally. <laughs> yes, I mean, it, maybe it's just a terminology issue. So outstanding, the debt's been issued. We have the funds. We have spent them. We are they're in the repayment schedule. Spent or in process of spending. They, they, or in process of being spent. So they're not. It it, it ties. It, never mind. 
Wait, be back. Be back. <laughs> Hi. Michal Trevetti, Office of Public Finance. Just, just to quickly clarify, so the, the amount in the table you're seeing that's outstanding, that's the amount we have to pay back, uh, which doesn't relate to the amount that we're spending on the bonds. So the, the yellow... Um, the yellow chart that you're mm -hmm. referring to, that yeah. comes from accounting, and that they're tracking the proceeds that we've received from selling the bonds and how quickly we're spending them. So if you'd like, we can make sure that the total authorization is reflected on that, and that might be useful for you. Right, but that in that outstanding thing, just to be clear, the outstanding is, is different than, than... That's different. Than what Brendan, Yeah, so that's, right. that's how so, much we have to pay back to the investors completely unrelated to how much is spent. Right, on, on the actual. Yeah. That might be clear if you separate it, yeah. but in my own thinking, um, we received the funds, that's why they're outstanding, we have to pay that back. Because right. the fact that we received the funds, those funds went into expenditures, part of which we are responsible for. So if they, we didn't expend them, we wouldn't have to pay them back. No. So I can. Yeah. Well, so for example, like the, the, the SFGH bond from 2008, we've spent all the funds that we issued bonds for and got, we got the proceeds, we've spent those proceeds, but the bonds are still outstanding, that's still debt that we have to pay back. Yes. So there's no more, there are no more proceeds to c conduct oversight over necessarily, but there's still outstanding debt that we have to pay back. Yes. So that's what's reflected on the, the chart that we provided. No, no, I understand that. So maybe it's just the way these numbers are presented that's making some of us ask questions because it's not the other format that we used to see. Right. Right. Any public comment? Awesome. I think we are adjourned. Are we adjourned? <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a question yes. for the chair. Um, we need to, I think, assign bond areas. Not all of us have bond areas, and I think some people are overworked because they're carrying two or three. Should you and I meet? What, how, how do you want to let's, proceed? Let's okay. Chat. okay, that sounds great. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.